Well, good morning. As we prepare to uh, dig into the word a little bit this morning, I'm going to warn you we're going to go a little backwards so then we can move forward. And so if you want to open your scripture to Luke chapter 1, we'll be focusing some on Zechariah's words in verses 68 to 79. So here we are. It's December 26th. Christmas gifts are open and Christmas dinner's a memory now. Another holiday season has come and gone already. Another month has blown by us. Pam and I talk all the time about how we're always flipping the calendar. It feels like the months go faster and faster. But as I prepared for the message today over this last month, the question that's kept cropping up in my mind is, so why did Jesus come? One of the questions I'm always pondering is how do we explain, best explain, the truths of the gospel to the one who really has no idea or really has never heard of Luke chapter 2 or has an understanding of what the manger scene is even about. You all know we live in a very commercialized world a very, with a very like secularized version of Christmas. But even in the church sometimes, and Pastor Jeff hit on this a little bit the other night, we sometimes can get kind of rote about Christmas, the crash, the songs, the decorating. But I wonder if a true non, uh, non-believer came seeking and said to one of us, so why did Jesus come? I know you do that church thing and you say you believe in God, so what is this about? Why was his coming a thing? Why was it necessary? What would we really say? This is central to my meeting with our friends at Keystone and Cynthia Day because I'm often answering those very basic questions or perhaps bringing them back to little things they remember maybe as a child about Christmas that maybe someone introduced to them. So let's dig into that a little bit because I think we always need to be finding the best ways to express the gospel, the truth of who Jesus is, and what life in him is about in everyday non-churchy jargon. So the average person could say maybe after chatting with us, uh, that, that makes sense, or I have not heard that before. But before we get deep into that, let's do a quick recap of what we have already heard during these weeks of Advent leading up to the Christmas Eve service from the other night. And I do that because we're still very much in Christmas. And some of these very things we study might help us as we think through how we would answer that question about why did he come. On week one, going back to November 28th, we talked about finding that durable hope that Christmas calls us to as we wait in the Advent season. We heard of the call to claim these seven words in Psalm 25.1. In you, Lord my God, I put my trust. On the second Sunday of Advent, we talked about the reality that preparing room in our hearts for Jesus in this waiting season calls us to go before God and offer to him those places 
We need him to change and transform. Those rough spaces that we need for him to sand down, whether they be stressed relationships, anxieties, fears, or sometimes those choices of attitudes and actions. That was a hard message. Week three called us to finding joy below the surface. We must move beyond searching for just happy feelings, but a joy, that joy of the Lord that sustains us. This comes as we continually surrender all the pieces of our lives to God, including those places of non-answers to him. And in so doing that, he baptizes us into this new life that he's called us to. When we talked about love on week four, that adoration as Mary exemplified it in her response to God, as she unexpectedly learned that her whole life was about to change dramatically. Ever have circumstances where you felt, my whole life has been changed by this? That's what Mary was facing that day. Praise and surrender was her response. We don't worship God just because we understand all of life's happenings or when things go according to our script or because what God has done, but a trust that he remains in control and loving no matter what our eyes can only see, particularly in the unexpected scenes with people and places because sometimes those dramatic unfoldings have nothing to do with anything we did. They might be other people's choices, or a job change, or a health crisis. But it changes the landscape of our life, and that's what Mary was faced with here. Just the other night in our two services, before Christmas, we talked about this verse of John 3.16 that's so familiar to us. And though those words may seem maybe too familiar, almost mundane to us, because of their familiarity, let's listen again and we hear them and see that these words really are a reminder of God's heart and that it's as big as our world and the world of all of our hopes and fears. We were reminded of God's call to let his love wash over us. For this world, yes, this very sad and broken world all around us, and let us show them, maybe these people that come to us with that question, let us show them what heaven on earth looks like because of God's people. So from there, we go back to my original question. Why did Jesus come? What will be your answer to that non-believing neighbor or coworker, or even a doubting teenager as they're all viewing the darkness of this world that we live in? Why did he come? What does it really have to do with anything here in 2021, almost 2022. Over these last few Advent seasons, I've been repeatedly drawn to these verses that I referenced in Luke chapter 1, Zechariah's song at the end of this Luke chapter 1, and have kind of lived there, meditating on those verses. Dr. McClarty says, in this passage, Zechariah is not speaking as a proud parent of a newborn son, he is speaking as one of the prophets of old who spoke on God's authority by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. 
By way of background, the history of the people of Israel is filled with long periods of subjection and slavery. They were captives in Egypt for over 400 years. Think about that. We get frustrated and we have to wait a few days. Imagine 400 years. Once in the land of Canaan, they were defeated by the Philistines, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, only to be conquered by the Romans. So this is where they were. Their glory days under David and Solomon were a brief exception to a recurring pat pattern of dispersion and exile. So that's where Zechariah was at when he was speaking these words. Given this background, is it really any wonder that their hope did lay in the promise of a savior who would set them free once and for all, a king whose kingdom would be forever? When we're not living in freedom or feeling held back, we quickly long for whatever it will take to bring that freedom to us. And then there was Zechariah's own journey of he and Elizabeth wanting to bear children. They were on in years now, and it seemed the possibility of that was over for them. So by the time the angel Gabriel comes to share the news of John's arrival, Zechariah expressed true doubt, and so the angel renders him speechless. Nine months of speechlessness. We can presuppose that Zechariah was maybe resolute in his unbelief at that point, but there was just no way he'd become a parent. Sometimes we look at our circumstances and we say, no way would this ever resolve itself or fill in the blank. No way he'd become a parent, and the long waiting had just made him more cynical and more doubtful. <clears throat> but it's when he gets his speech back that he's inspired by the Spirit in this passage and sees that the day is coming for the arrival of the Messiah, the Savior. It's only a matter of time that people will be able to worship and serve God without fear of further oppression from their enemies. So I'm going to read this passage to you now, and as I do so, be thinking about that question. There's some key words in this passage that lead us to answer that question well. Why did Jesus come? So Zechariah prophesies, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeem them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. So going back to our question, why did he come? What is it that we need rescue from? Who or what are our real enemies? Obviously, the daily news can fill you with any number of valid answers to that question about our enemies pandemic, terrorism, extremists, North Korea, so much more. But these, and so many other things, are a real threat, perhaps, to our national security. But what other 
enemies do we face? Though enemies abound externally, we all could make a list. Our greatest fear must be the enemy that works within us. Those places of selfish pride, greed, lust, narcissism. These traits prevail in our culture. They're almost acceptable. Do they prevail in me? In you? Sometimes it's a problem with gossip or shading the truth. A critical spirit. Sometimes not willing to be wrong. Maybe stuck in a pattern of unforgiveness. There's times when we need to be fully rescued, set free maybe from the way that we think. Maybe it's always in a negative pattern. Maybe it's laced with fearful what-if thoughts all the time. This prophecy from Zechariah was also clearly stating that one of John's tasks is calling from God in verse 77. We see it was to impart to his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. So why did he come? He came to save us from our sinful state and to call us to living a life of freedom on this path of peace. We cannot deliver ourselves from our past, from our guilt, from our addictions, from our self-centered propensity, or even our fears. We need the long-awaited Savior that Zechariah foretells about and that his son John was to prepare us for. In truth, everyone has an understanding of what it means to be saved. In the physical sense, we've seen people saved from floodwaters or from fires. Being saved usually means delivered from some sort of distress or danger. In fact, the whole concept of salvation implies being rescued from something. Sometimes it's financial ruin or illness or physical danger, maybe emotional peril from some kind of enemy that threatens to destroy us. Zechariah was referencing. He says, from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. For many in Zechariah's day, it meant freedom from the domineering presence of the Roman occupiers. And we know anyone today could quickly name the present troubles that they most wish to be delivered from. But in truth, Zechariah was speaking of far greater enemies from the spiritual forces, Nancy Wolgamus says, that hold our hearts and souls captive. Some of them have already listed. She goes on to say, and if we truly recognize the life-threatening danger that sin poses in our lives, the great enemy from which Jesus came to rescue us from, we want nothing to do with at all. Much the same way one who's been delivered from bankruptcy doesn't run back to those destructive patterns of spending. Or one who was rescued from a burning building doesn't go back into the fire. The deeper our understanding of salvation, the further from sin we will stay. This song of Zechariah heralds the dawning of the light of Jesus on all who sit in darkness. Where is that place of darkness for you? How would you share that with someone who doesn't know Jesus and explain from your own life experience what Jesus has set you free from? Or how the darkness of your world, though very real in different seasons, his light has remained. Peter reminds us in his first letter 
But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you had received mercy. The answer to this question of why did Jesus come is often highlighted in Paul's letters to the early churches. He wrote to the Galatians, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us. There's that word rescue again. Rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Can we be that grace and peace to those around us that they might see the reality of Jesus and answer that question through our lives? Why did Jesus come? What is this Christmas thing really about? To the Colossian church, Paul wrote, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son that he loves. Yes, he indeed came to rescue us and bring us out of that darkness, of that sense that we have no purpose, the darkness of depression, the darkness of painful relationships, the darkness of things that don't ever seem to change. He came to rescue us and bring us out of that darkness that we might live for him under his wonderful light and his hand of mercy. And then... Again, we can represent heaven on earth and bring that light and mercy to those we interact with. Oh, life won't be perfect. The hard places are not automatically erased, but he is our light. And scripture reminds us, we heard this verse many times over the last month, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. He will rescue us. Advent reminds us that he will rescue us from hopelessness. We live surrounded by people filled with no sense of hope. He rescued us from living in constant angst and tells us we can have a peace that surpasses all understanding. He desires to rescue you and me from a joyless spirit and from our own limited ability to love well. Do you have people in your life that are really hard to love? God came to help us with our limitations there. What is your story, my story, of deliverance? Everyone doesn't have a lightning bolt story of deliverance. But we all have a story of what God has delivered us from as we have surrendered to him at the start of our journey with him, and as we continue to surrender in everyday life right now. Are you able to share that story of deliverance, however non-dramatic it may seem to you? Maybe he has called you to break the generational cycle of sin in your family of origin. Maybe he has called you away from habits that led you to dark places. Maybe he's delivered you from codependent behaviors and showed you how to live depending on him only. Maybe he's taught you that if none follow Jesus with you, if the pieces of life do not line up as you had hoped, as you had dreamed, we all dream about what life would be like, has he taught you that even then 
he will be enough. If so, that's your story. That's your answer about why Jesus came. Zechariah was saying his son John was coming to prepare the way for the Savior. The Savior who was coming to be a light to all nations, to open eyes that are blind, to free us from our places of imprisonment, sometimes literal, sometimes emotional or physical imprisonment of bodies and minds. The dawn, this dawn of light coming through Jesus was coming to break through the darkness, the darkness of this very broken world, the darkness that lurks in our hearts, and to restore the broken pieces of our lives. That's why he came. William Hendrickson says, though salvation is distinctly a spiritual matter, it's important to remember that the life of one rescued by God from self, rescued from the enemies of the soul, receiving the gift of salvation, shows evidence of this in all aspects of our life. It is not this external thing we're delivered from. It's a matter of reconciliation to God through the saving work of the promised Redeemer, whose forerunner was John. I love when I hear stories at Keystone, and they say, oh, I was at an A meeting, and there was this stuff, sometimes they'll say, it was this God person there. And there was something different about him or her. I wish I had that. That's what they're seeing. They're seeing a rescued person who has the peace of God in them. They didn't have the words, but they recognize it. And that's what people should be able to say about me and about you. There's something different about them. So yes, we have celebrated his first coming, that gift of Jesus to us, but we remain in this waiting posture for the advent of his second coming. And while we wait, can I encourage you to turn back to where we started in Psalm 25.1. In you, Lord, I put my trust. As we offer those life-changing words in prayer to our Savior, the rescue begins. Remember, again, he wants to deliver us from those broken places, from our own inabilities to receive his peace in those places where we hold on to fears and anxieties. He wants to rescue us from those deeply ingrained ways of thinking that hold us back from that abundant life that he calls us to. He wants to rescue us from our need to be right, from our thinking that is not born of a heart of faith but doubt. He desires to rescue us even from our need for concrete answers, but to rather live by faith in him, trusting he's overall, even in the places we do not understand. Psalm 69, 17, and 18, we read, Do not hide your face from your servant. Answer me quickly, for I am in trouble. Come near and rescue me. Redeem me because of my foes. As we move from Christmas Day into these days following the holiday season <clears throat> and prepare to turn the calendar over into a new year, let this be our cry. Come near me and rescue me, God. Redeem me because of my foes, as the psalmist prayed. As we close out this year, why not commit to writing your own prayer to God and ask him for his rescue in those areas that you know you cannot beat yourself? 
Ask him to come near and bring rescue and to redeem, make good of the messes, the places of confusion, maybe even the places where we sometimes fake it with God and others, so that we can come clean and remember those words of Peter in his second letter. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. When we're rescued by him, we are able to live in a place of sober mind. We're able to love well, bringing healing to our relationships. We become humble servants of his and doing so without grumbling. Our lives become centered around the faithful stewardship of our time, our resources, our family's lives. Our conversation becomes full of grace, and we're always looking for ways to lift others up and encourage them in their own journeys. And all of this is done in the strength that he grants us. And when we do this, when we live this out, all aspects of our life are filtered through who he has become to us, and the glory and the honor goes to him. As the world takes notice, like they have for some of my friends that I've met at Keystone, and they say, wow, there's something different about them. I wonder how our homes would be different if we lived this out well. I wonder how our church might be different, growing deeper in God. Dan Wilt says, Jesus was given to us from the Father for humanity and our condition to lead each one of us from spiritual imprisonment to the freedom of the new creation life. Jesus leads us from simply living to a life of awakening. He says nations are collections of individuals, and Jesus pursues the individual knowing that changing the heart of one leads to changing the hearts of many. Jesus was given to us in the form of a child. Innocence, growth, maturity, and dependence are integral to his story as they are to our own. In other words, he came like us in every respect that he might lead us into the fullness of being a child of God. In conclusion, Dan Wilt said in his Christmas Eve devotional, so, Christ came to us in the Incarnation as our great mediator to show us how to be a bridge for others, pointing them to Jesus, the way to the Father, and to build bridges for people who struggle to walk toward God over the great chasms they face. The infant Jesus bridged the gap, so we too can bridge a gap for those God sends to us that lines up with our mission statement, bringing the hope of the gospel wherever we find ourselves. Wilt goes on to say, Christ came to us in the incarnation to show us the way to teach others of their dignity and the dignity of other human beings and to affirm each person's unique identity as the beloved of God. Jesus used his compassionate instruction to help people find their way in a dignity-degrading, identity-confusing world. 
that sound familiar? As spirit-filled and guided royal priests ourselves, we have the mandate to teach and instruct by all means possible those who have lost their why and lost their way. So let's not forget, Jesus is in the middle of all these things we've been through, particularly in these last few years. This was true during his time on earth, and it's true today in 2021. This calling to share him is not optional. So let's be diligent in sharing our everyday lives in such a way that we can answer those questions that those around us that have not met Jesus yet might have. Let's share with great courage, but deep love, as we explain why he really came. Would you pray with me now? Thank you, O Lord, for your coming, for seeing, for knowing our plight, and for having mercy on our sinful, enslaved condition. Thank you, Emmanuel, God with us, for not only visiting us, but also staying with us by your Holy Spirit. Keep us now as we await your soon and sure return, Lord Jesus. We worship you today in confident faith and hope and with never-ending gratitude. Amen.